What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This has been the most tense podcast I have ever done. Kevin Sherrington. You were working on typewriters in town. Barry Horn. I don't even know who you are anymore. Where were you last week? Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about colleges. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the college Ballsy with a Z podcast. And our guest today, right now here in Loserville, because that's what we are, we're talking uh, Big 12 basketball men's and women, where there are no teams uh, left uh, for the Final Four, for next weekend's Final Four in either Dallas or the uh, Phoenix area. Is Chuck Carlton of the Dallas Morning News. I'm Barry Horn, and sitting right next to me is not Kevin Sherrington, is not David Moore, is not Evan Grant. It is a pro, a pro's pro, <laughs> and it is Sean Bass of the Ticket. And you're using that term very loosely, but I appreciate it, Barry. And Chuck, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. Hey, likewise, Sean. So let's start with the men. We'll get to the women and uh, Baylor shortcoming in the Elite Eight round yesterday. But so the Big Twelve had. I don't want to say this was a failure of a season or a failure of a tournament. I mean, you had West Virginia going deep. You had, obviously, Kansas as a power going deep. And then you had Baylor uh, getting upset the other day by South Carolina in the um, in the round of eight. Excuse me, the uh, Sweet 16. Although, outside of Oklahoma's run last year before getting decimated in the Final Four, how do you feel like the footing of the men's side of the Big 12 is basketball-wise at this present moment and moving forward? Not great. I mean, it's possible you can have a not great season and still have a great tournament, which I thought might be the case in the Big 12, because this was a year where I thought the the league was down a little bit, especially beyond the top uh, maybe three or four teams. But, you know, even when things apparently set up well, you have Kansas playing in Kansas City, which is, you know, Allen Fieldhouse uh, East, Mm -hmm. everything in place. And they lose to an Oregon team that was without one of its best players, you know, who was, you know, uh, Boucher injured before the tournament began. And all of a sudden now people are looking at, you know, Bill Self being two and five in Elite Eight games. And you look at Baylor, and and people weren't sold on Baylor early, but this is a team that got to number one. This is a team that played really tough defense, hard to play against, and was it in an East Regional that couldn't have been better set up for them. Sure. And it's not like it was a close loss. It just get destroyed by uh, uh, by South Carolina, West Virginia. A little different story, you know. But still a good matchup against Gonzaga. Just a really bad last thirty second possession that that kind of underscored kind of the struggles for the Mountaineers. So yeah, all in all, maybe not a horrible season for Big Twelve basketball on the men's side, but certainly not a great one. Do you and think I... when you look at it compared to the rise of you know, conferences like the SEC, yeah, the Big 12 has work to do. Do you think our view gets distorted being in Dallas, Texas? We tend to focus on the Texas teams and the teams close to us, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech, TCU, which, by the way, TCU's making a nice run into the semifinals of the NIT as they take on Central Florida uh, Tuesday this week. But 
if you look at the depth of the conference, it really wasn't a bad year. I mean, Baylor was number one. Kansas was a top seed. You had Iowa State, who you know had a tough matchup in their uh, second round. I just kind of feel like that, all in all, this isn't a bad basketball conference. Now, if you want to talk about how football is uh, taking a step back, I, I think you can do that. But are we too Texas-centric in how we view the basketball side of things? Oh, possibly, especially when you look at the fact that uh, you know Texas and Oklahoma you know, each lost 20 games this year, mm-hmm. which nobody had on their radar screen. That only Baylor among the uh, teams in Texas made the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you can look at it, but also a lot of times as a conference, you're only as good as your flagship. Mm-hmm. And the flagship program in, uh, in basketball is clearly Kansas. And clearly they've had struggles getting to the Final Four. I'm not saying Bill Self's a bad coach, but... You're, you're kind of defined by what you do in March. And at this point, you know, uh, you have North Carolina there. You have an awful lot of upstarts. But, again, things were set up well for Kansas. But is, it, is, this, is this a bad basketball conference? No. Is this a conference right now that maybe isn't as good as it's been, you know, in, in previous seasons? I think you can make that case. And I think – you know, well, you could say TCU is on the upswing. There are question marks about Texas. I think there's going to be question marks at Iowa State where they lose four starters, and you don't have the Fred Hoiberg transfer system in place. I think Kansas will still be the, the favorite in the league. I think Baylor has a chance to be very good. Um, I, I think what Jamie Dixon is doing at TCU really bears watching. But uh, uh, it, it's it's not something that gets you really the, the juices flowing on this. I, I, right think, I, I think we should be disappointed in the performance of the Texas teams in the in the Big 12 and SMU. Uh, you know, they, they were built, in fact, I uh, predicted that they would be a Sweet 16 team. Shows what an idiot I am. Uh, you know, how many, there, there are a ton of Division One teams. Do you know offhand how many Division One men's teams there are in the state? Either one of you guys? 12, 13? Probably Sixteen, something like All that. All right, but there's a lot, and 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 here we are, and you know, Sweet Sixteen comes along. There, there's, there, you can't you can't even smell a Texas team. Uh, you know, maybe I go back too far, showing my age here. When uh, Houston University of Houston, Phi Slamma Jam, it went to three uh, Final Fours in a row, eighty two, eighty three, eighty four. Uh, you, you know, when you go back and you look at the Big 12 in, in the Final Fours, yeah, there's Kansas in the Final Four, West Virginia when it was a Big East team. Oklahoma State was there this uh, millennium. But, you know, to go back and see a Texas team at the Final Four, you got to go back to 2003, and what happened? They got eliminated in the first game by Syracuse, I think. But um, I, I, I think it's, it's you know, are, are we willing to let Texas teams off so quickly? And, and just I just want to throw one more thing in here while I have the microphone. Scott Drew had to be the happiest man in America that Bill Self lost uh, <laughs> a couple of days after he did because that, so. that, that took the – took the attention away that's and i'm off my soapbox chuck no no you're right and and again you have the shark smart situation in texas where people thought the shark smart would come in hit the ground running and and really put his imprint on the program and unlike football where you i think you need two to three to four years to put your stamp on a program i think basketball is a shorter horizon because uh, the fact that you only need a couple players to have an impact. He was left without a point guard. It's really hard to lose 22 games in a power conference. Somehow he did. 
there are rumors about him at Georgetown. I, I don't see that happening right now. I, I, you know, I could be mistaken on that. Uh, the, the feelings from at least the Shaka Smart camp is that probably doesn't want to go back. He, although there are a lot of people at Georgetown who would love to have Shaka Smart as their coach. You still see that guy who built the great program at VCU. And remember, Richmond, Virginia is not that far from Washington, D.C. You're talking, what, 100, 120 miles? People in D.C. are fully aware of Shaka Smart. And that's but, a good area to recruit, uh, too. You bet. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's and, – and, again, it's, you know, the sort of school, sort of social situation I think Shaka Smart would thrive in there. Uh, and, and, and I've just never seen a comfort level with him in Texas. And maybe I'm overstating this, but it seems like – for whatever reason, we haven't seen the same shock of smart who was just out there and with the aggressive defense and just setting a tone in a mid-major. We haven't seen that guy in Texas yet. Well, so, is, uh, is it because he went? Is it easier in some ways to coach at a mid mid-major where the uh, expectations aren't that high? I, I don't think the expectations are really that high in Texas. <laughs> Remember, it's still a football school, but. I, I think everything was in place for him to be successful at BCU, and I think um, in in some ways the expectations aren't that high, but in some ways you you have your your own little uh, kingdom there as a mid major, and and BCU basketball was a big thing after he went to the Final Four. He got he had the program in place. He was getting the players he wanted. It wasn't a case where you know if you know he was expected to be in the hunt for top 100 players every year. If he got him, it was great. If not, he could coach him up and still be competitive in this conference and, and make the NCAA tournament. Texas, when you're competing with Kansas, uh, when that's kind of the measuring stick in the Big 12, and you know, as much as people got disillusioned with Rick Barnes at the end, he made the NCAA tournament all but one year in Texas. You know, He had a pretty darn good run there. So that's kind of Always a little bit in the background as well. Are we are we going to let A and M off the hook because they're in the SEC? They, no, okay. no, but but uh, especially when you look at what the SEC has done. You know, you look at South Carolina. I mean, yes, A and M had a nice run last year, and that got Billy Kennedy a contract extension. But he, uh, Mike Texas, was left without a point guard, um, without some consistent perimeter scoring. I actually thought he had decent talent on this team, and it just didn't happen for the Aggies. And uh, they had the really nice recruiting year a couple years ago, um, and now can they follow up on it? Can they keep that talent level coming in, especially when you look at all the, you know, all the coaches in the SEC now? You have a lot of programs on the rise, you know, and it's not just South Carolina. And, and it's not just the Floridas and Kentuckys, but, um, you know, it, that, that's going to be the challenge for Billy Kennedy. I'm sorry. Uh, Sean was going to say something about my usual interruptive self. Frank Martin, when he was at Kansas State, now he's, now he's at South Carolina, of course. Now he's going to the Final Four. Um, was it wise to, for, to, for, to let him get out of the conference? Was it wise for K State to let him? No, run? no, no, for for, for <laughs> no, obviously. A lot of this was his own decision, though. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm yeah, sure. Well, they, but, but, but remember, there was a situation though with the the eligibility situation mm-hmm. with one of his players before the NCAA tournament, where John Curry, who was then the AD, took a really hard line 
and uh, Frank Martin was not happy with that. They lost one of their key players, and within a month, he was going to South Carolina. And people at the time, people thought it was a head-scratcher. Why, why is he going to a place where if you think South Carolina football is an uphill climb, man, South Carolina basketball, not, you know, unless you want to go back to Brian Winters and Kevin Joyce and people like that, there's, there hasn't been a whole lot of bright spots there. Johnny Roach. And to his credit, you know, I mean, he's got them in the tournament and in the Final Four now, you know, overachieving, doing it with homegrown people. And as much as people, you know, look at Frank Martin, all they see is the, you know, the glare and uh, the sideline demeanor, I, I think he's a coach who gets it. And if you look at the quotes, they're pretty thoughtful stuff on on how he relates to his players and sort of stands standards he sets in the program. So, yeah, he would have been great. I think he could have established K-State had he stayed as, as clearly an upper division Big 12 team. Barry, I'm glad you brought up South Carolina and Frank Martin. By the way, he's Barry Horn. I'm Sean Bass of The Ticket. We have Chuck Carlton joining us talking some college hoops right now here on the Ballsy Podcast. And Darius Thornwell, the Gamecocks senior, goes off for, what, 26 in their win the other day over uh, in the Elite Eight round against Florida. And I'm looking at a mock draft right now. One, I only see three Big 12 players currently in the uh, first round, and only one of them is an upperclassman. That's Jonathan Motley of Baylor. Sendarius Thornwell isn't even projected to be a first-round pick. I'm looking at the first top 17 picks of this draft. They're all either freshmen or international players. Do you feel like there is going to be a market inefficiency on upperclassmen moving forward? And I know we don't want to really dip into Mavs talk here or anything, but with the Mavericks actually having a decent draft pick this year, do you feel like that uh, maybe some of these NBA teams could look at some of these upperclassmen, and do you feel like it's such a risk to take some of these underclassmen like a Josh Jackson or Alonzo Ball or Markel Fultz and the like? But that's the way – I mean, the NBA is a youth league, right? Sure. I mean, it's basically you, – you, you know, the scouts are selling potential to GMs. And to their coaches, that's what they're saying. You know, they're they're looking at the upside in two, three, four years with some guy coming in, mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody that you know they view like a junior or senior as a you know as a finished product. We can coach this guy up, and and that's where mistakes are made. I think I think mistakes are made at both ends. You know, judging the potential. I mean, do I see Josh Jackson as someone with a, a world of potential? but also somebody with maybe some maturity issues that have been pretty well documented, and even the two early fouls against Oregon, yeah. So you've got to factor that. But if he goes uh, to Boston, who has the first pick, you know that's that's a situation where he can grow. That might be a bit of an outlier. But it seems like a lot of these lottery teams that are bad year after year with all these high picks, they're taking these gambles. And by the time that player is developed, they're already up with their rookie contract. And I just I'm looking at... Again, Sindarius Thornwell and just what he did, and he's a senior, and he's not even projected in the first round. If you're a team like oh, Dallas right. or, or a middling team looking to make the playoffs, why wouldn't you get a plug-and-play plug and play player like Seniors, that? Seniors, that's not the way the NBA works. So. Uh, I, I understand that. I just, I just find it insane, and we've gotten so far away from guys staying three or four years that you, know, you want to take every baby that comes out. And I feel like it, it's a higher rate of missing on those freshmen and underclassmen for, for all these NBA teams. And as we watch the tournament, I feel like that's a, a place where many of us really watch college basketball for the first time in, intently all year. And I'll be damned if these upperclassmen don't uh, repeatedly play play better. Well, yeah, but I think, I think if, if you're looking for as an NBA fan, you, you might as well watch the EuroLeague championships also. Uh, th- that's 
that's just that's just that's just where we are these days. It's it's you know, and you said, and I remember looking at a mock draft a couple of weeks ago. It was freshmen, freshmen, yeah. fre- and point guards, freshmen, point guards, freshmen, point guards, freshmen, point guards, or European point guards. Uh, you know, as as you look at your list, yeah, there's six point guards in the top ten, and just this one I'm looking and, at, and they're freshmen or right. your, your or Euros, right? Uh-huh. Or Euro slash freshmen, right? So it, it it's 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 just the way just the way it works. Can can I just uh, shift? As Evan Grant says, I love to shift things, but can we talk about the women for just a second? Um, that was a pretty uh, pretty big upset yesterday when Mississippi State eliminated Baylor. And I think it's the fourth year in a row that Baylor got eliminated in the Elite Eight. None of the seniors on that team will have ever been to a Final Four. And that is the class team of the uh, uh, Big 12, uh, Texas or non-Texas. They produce year after year the, the best women's teams. And they can't even get back to the Final Four. First of all, I, I would dispute, I, I don't think it was as big an upset as what people thought, simply because, you know, Mississippi State, despite not having a whole lot of tradition, they were viewed as a potential number one seed during the course of the season. And Vic Schaefer, who was Gary Blair's top assistant at A&M, came up with a defense that thwarted Baylor and Brittany Griner, the Elite Eight in 2011, and came up with assist to, to take Baylor again. I mean, he... That, you know, it's not as talented as Baylor, but a very well-coached team, but very much the same situation that you see with yourself, you see with Kip Mulkey now, where trying to get over that hump in the late eight. And I think it was a psychological sort of situation for, for a lot of these seniors. I mean, it's it's one thing the first two years they had played the Notre Dame in essentially road games, you understand that. But last year in Dallas, Oregon State, a team with no tradition, a game that Baylor really should have won, and they lose that. And all of a sudden, it's three in a row, monkeys on their back. They know that that this, you know, it's Dallas or bust this year, and they still don't get it done. You have uh, Morgan William of Mississippi State going off for 41 points. How tall is she? 5'5". 5'5". If she's listed at 5'5", that means she's really (laughs) 5'3". Yes, and and just going off and throwing in stuff and – Kim Mulkey throwing her point guard under the bus afterwards. And it's just, you know, and from the standpoint of you don't root for teams, but you do root for stories. And Baylor and Kim Mulkey facing Gino Ariana and UConn and that streak potentially in Dallas in the uh, semifinals of the Final Four would have been a pretty good story. Not that Mississippi State isn't. Not that Stanford coming in. Is not Chuck not that'll, that South Chuck, Carolina or Florida State is it? But that'll, yes. that'll be a twenty point game Friday night. <laughs> yeah, that'll well, be well, just like last year. There are some great stories going into the Final Four, and UConn barely broke a sweat in terms of winning. I mean, right now, it you know people say is UConn like John Wooden's UCLA team? You know, maybe UConn's closer to the the Soviet Red Army hockey team for crying out loud. It yeah. would be a you know miracle on the court if they lose. But, you know, I, I do hope Dallas, this is, you know, women's basketball, Dallas isn't exactly a hotbed. This isn't, this isn't Storrs, Connecticut, or Knoxville, or, or but this any is, of the other places. But, but, this but you is, hope people come out and support the event. But this, yeah, oh, no question about it. But this is an area that produces so much talent. Uh, it, it should be, though. I, and I think you're right. I think, I think the NCAA has got to be crying in its, uh, crying all the way to the bank with this. Because, uh, you know, no Baylor, Texas, no Big 12 team, no local team of interest. 
Uh, no Notre Dame. Notre Dame probably right. would have would have brought a, brought a nice crowd. What kind of crowds are we talking about for this, Chuck? I mean, obviously, well, Barry hit the nail on the head. Nobody around this area really focuses on women's basketball throughout the year. I'm curious. Obviously, there are uh, you know young women that play the game and want to grow the game, but I'm just curious what sort of mass appeal there's going to be at the AAC. It's not going to be uh, if you're looking for like countless empty seats or maybe the entire upper deck. No, it's not going to be like that because they also hold their coaches' convention at the same time as oh. they do the Final Four. So you have. A built-in audience. You have the, the the tickets distributed. I mean, you you would probably have if if you look now, it would be probably a sellout, if not, uh, or at least close to a sellout from the standpoint of, of the tickets that are out there. But will they will they be Maverick sellouts or real sellouts? <laughs> uh, Maverick sellouts. Okay. But but it's not gonna it's not gonna look bad on TV. Look. Uh, and, and and you look at the list of attendance at all the Final Four places. I covered the one in Indianapolis where A and M won, and it was you know it was actually a fairly full house. Now you had Notre Dame there, but Indianapolis isn't really a Notre Dame city. But yeah, you had you had some folks. But again, it, it'll be nice to see if beyond the attendance, if Dallas really kind of embraces what is another big event here. And of course, you have the possibility of severe thunderstorms all this week because we do have a big event in town, so the weather has to play. I think there'll be a nice storm coming myself. You could you could be on top of that, Barry, for us, yeah. the weather, weather story. But, uh, no, again, you're kind of judged by your flagship. Right now, Baylor's come up short, and, and really Baylor hasn't, and Kim Mulkey's program hasn't seen, been the same since that forty and zero run to a national championship, Griner's junior year, they get upset in Sweet Sixteen by Louisville, playing out of their minds. And ever since then, they've just seemed to run into a team that play out of their know, minds. Yeah, and at the same time, you you know, I, I know that's what but you know Baylor people say. You see that on social media, but when's Baylor going to play out of its mind? Yeah, don't turn the when ball over seventeen play? times. That would help. Yeah, and what? what and when when are you going to play against an elite eight uh, opponent like you do against Texas Southern? You know what I mean? <laughs> Where you just you know pound them into the ground or or whatever. I mean, this is you know uh, there, there just seems to be a tension that comes with them when they get to a certain level. I don't think it's a plateau in terms of talent. I, I think it's ninety percent of it is upstairs. Chuck, to slide things back to the men's side. When many people listen to the next podcast, they're either going to have the final on deck or they might already know the national champion. What's your most intriguing storyline as we head in with both Gonzaga and South Carolina making their first ever uh, tournament appearance? Oregon hasn't been there since they won the first one in 1939, and then you have the uh, Blue Blood in North Carolina. What uh, what tickles your fancy heading into this coming weekend? Well, what, what, what I find intriguing is you do have the one Blue Blood in New York, North Carolina, and everybody's saying this is North Carolina's tournament to win. And North Carolina, which, by the way, started the season uh, just checking odds at 17-1 to 1 hmm. to win the national championship. I mean, uh, and that was the best odds of being the team now in the Final Four. But you look at Roy Williams just you know losing last year to Villanova at the buzzer, and things are set up now for North Carolina. Plus, we still haven't heard anything on that, you know, on the whole academic scandal in North Carolina. That's still winding its way through the NCAA judicial process. So that's an added layer here. But yes, this is, 
Now, if North Carolina doesn't win, there'll be a lot of people saying why. At the and the other thing that intrigues me is Gonzaga, because we we've, we've heard about Gonzaga now for two decades as the ultimate mid major, but they've never made it this far before. And you know, this may or may not be Mark Few's best team. They're loaded with transfers, though. They're talented. And they're big. And yeah. The, and he's always had size. He's always had a front court. I think this is the best guards that he's ever had. And I think that's made a difference, uh, especially when it becomes a guards tournament. And, and they do have size, and they're hard to play against. And, uh, I mean, they, and they had everything fall into place with Arizona losing out west. They didn't have to face Arizona. I think would have been a hard matchup. They got Xavier instead. I, I think, you know, uh, they're, they're facing the fighting Frank Martins here. I think they should be able to handle that. And then you get a Gonzaga versus North Carolina potential matchup in the championship game. And it's like, you know, can, you know, does Gonzaga have the band power, you know, playing, you know, do they have that talent level to go against one of the three or four ultimate blue bloods of college basketball? and actually cut down the nets. I mean, Chuck, I still would favor North Carolina, but that could be a really interesting championship. Game. Chuck, the twenty-four, the 30-second clock is running down on us real quick. Uh, uh, let's play a game. I'll pick the win- women's Final Four champ. You pick the men's. I'll go first. I'll pick Connecticut. <laughs> oh. Big limb there, Barry. Well, you know, hey, it's my game. My game, my rules. Chuck, who you got? Give me guns, Give me Give me Zag right. Nation, which is something that, Rory Williams will probably be saying, you know, and, and fake cussing after he loses the championship game. And, you know, so. and, and Sean Bass, who do you like? Oh, I like North Carolina. But I would love to see Gonzaga win the whole thing. And I can't pick North Carolina since it's already off the board, so I guess I'll go with no, the you can pick North. You, can pick, you, can pick, you, you, can know, you know what I want? I want more magic. I want more buzzer beaters. We finally had it with the uh, Florida three-pointer against Wisconsin the other day. We had it with uh, North Carolina's Luke May uh, the other night uh, to lift the Tar Heels to the Final Four. I just want to see – tight games i know that's a very that's kind of a cop-out answer but it's been relatively devoid of these nail biters so far in this did you like to see kentucky lose are you one of those people that Uh, you know they have a couple of first round picks and i kind of would have liked to have seen them again and that's just sort of how i watch college basketball through an nba filter but that's me chuck any final words no i mean uh you know look forward to the far i mean you are in, you know, just a remarkable historical story in UConn and men's Final Four again. It's the tournament never disappoints, and we saw that as Sean said with the the Florida Wisconsin game, and you see that with Kentucky North Carolina. And it'd be great if we have a couple more of those things to to beef up the one shiny moment montage. And it would also <laughs> be nice if one of these years we have Texas teams in in a Final Four. How about one of these? Real. Will you take one of these decades? Does it have to be? One of these decades would be nice. Actually, we're we're working on what fourteen years now. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chuck, thanks for the time, sir. Good stuff, and we will uh, read your coverage of the women's tournament and what lies ahead in the men's final four. Take care, sir. Glad to be with you, hey, Chuck. Chuck. Chuck knows his hoops, and that, yeah, I, I could just see him sitting in. That's his... a bit of a market inefficiency too, because let's be honest, this is a pro sports town, and to have coverage like that is. Uh, it's a it's a gold mine. I could just I could just see him sitting in his in his office at home or wherever he. And he see, I know he's surrounded by papers. I know he's surrounded by, you know th- this this handout that handout stats everything. It's like the his beautiful mind vision he gets when he starts thinking yeah, about and, the and tournament. He, and he's just 
and sometimes he'll, he'll just talk, and, it, and he'll get into such excited about such minutia that you go, Chuck, what are you talking about? And, and, and he just goes on and You on. know what makes a good podcast? Minutia. Minutia? And resetting. And, re- and <laughs> Why don't you reset for us one final time before we go? Well, I'm Sean Bass. Or- He's Barry Horn. And that was Chuck Carlton of the Morning News on the Ballsy Podcast, and we will talk to you down the road. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our College Ballsy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.